Their stories reveal powerful and at times heartbreaking accounts of what it was like growing up Aboriginal in Australia. Treated like outsiders, second-class citizens on their own land. Listen to our elders as they share another layer of history. One that has always been there, just kept in the shadows. Nandolan Leisha eats. Gaya, ngaj ponjir, you know, murit murit, to nichang, ngala. I said, I welcome you, our people here to Wajak Nyunga land. We're working on the reconciliation plan and we're working on names. We named all the rooms in the council house. We're going to go through streets and name streets Nyunga names. And I've been pushing for this one urgently all the time. When I'm coming into Perth, I want to say, you're now entering into Wajak country. And I said, when we're going out and getting down into York area, and we, I want to say, we, you're now entering into Baladon country. We belong to the country and the land because we are. We are the land and the land belong to us. They could take the land from us, but they can never take us from the land because our heart and our spirits are in our land. And it always will be. No matter what they build on the land, they're still our land. And we know that and we tell our kids and we tell our family. From time began, this land was given to us and it was stolen from us and taken off us by violence. And we never ever had a fair go. They didn't educate us, never educated our people because they didn't want them educated. They didn't want them equal to the white people. They kept us down. They never let us in places where they were because they thought we wasn't good enough. They never let us in hospitals. And I had to fight for my rights always. And these are the things that I grew up and I know and I watch for these things all the time. And I'm not afraid to pull anyone up too because I tell them this is my land and I won't be run over in my land. What I want to leave for my next generation, I want them to be standing tall and proud, know who they are, where they belong and what they're about. Ni, ni, alewa, alewa. Walter Eats. I was brought up in a sort of a white environment and not wanted. Mm. And deep down I was longing to break into my Aboriginal culture. Because your mother was stolen generation? Yeah, she uh, was taken away from her people in Halls Creek from the Jaru people yeah. and born at Palm Springs. And uh, she was taken away as about three-year-old and placed in Beagle Bay Mission. Yeah. And she never got out there till she married Dad. And, and where was Dad from? Dad from Bustleton. So he was a miner, a yard builder, stockman, horse breaker, drover, station manager. Anyway, I've, when uh, Dad's relations looked at Mum and me, we carry our colour on the outside. And up, I could see the nose tilt upwards. 
And I thought to myself, well, if that's relations, I, I don't want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And uh, that was your own mob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dad's side. Wow. And that's why even today I still call it Dad's mob. Mm. But that chip I was carrying on my shoulder then as a child, it grew bigger. Mm. And I had to fight my way to school. I had to fight my way at smoko time. Mm. I had to fight going home. And that kept going and going and going. Mm. And I didn't know how to break into my Aboriginal side and I was just somewhere between, in limbo more or less. Yeah. And I think that created a lot of that chip on my shoulder. Yeah. Mm. The first thing I had to do was accept my Aboriginality. Uh, Mum had lost her culture. They stripped her of that in putting her in the mission, you know, Big Hill yeah. Bay. It was through Lisa that I, uh, that I gained the only culture I know. Mm. And the only culture I ever had is the Noongar culture. It, it's her strength, uh, her fight for her people, her land, her language, her culture, mm. identity. And to me, uh, she was a legend, Dora. Mm. Mm. And if not for her, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't have had a culture. I wouldn't have probably an identity. Mm. Uh, no one can say in 55 years that I've ever took a step in front of her. Mm. I've always been a step behind her because my love and respect for her was that strong that uh, I'd never break a protocol of her being the elder. Nee. Uncle Farley Garlop. You see him now, the nature reserves and places like that. It's where Nyungas um, used to do to go and stay because they were waiting for, like, harvest season, um, land clearing, shearing, and it was a place that farmers could access, um, you know, labour. Mm. And so, and when you moved to these places, you, all you had was um, carrying your blankets and, um, and a few other items, cooking utensils and stuff like that. And um, so then you scrounged around for um, things to build a, build a camp. And mm. a lot of those camps were, um, you know, three sticks together like the old teepee over in, um, in, uh, in, in, with the Americans, yep. Indians. You know, dirt floor, really well cleaned. Enough to fit, um, you know, probably seven, eight kids in and, you know, grandmother and grandfather and a couple of uncles, so big enough to sort of accommodate all of us. Wow. With a fire at the front that was for cooking and um, and for warmth and... Um, Sound like you had a two-storey teepee. <laughs> <laughs> to us it seemed like a mansion, you know. Wow. We saw it as a mansion because, um, you know, we, we were... You, you were that happy that um, it wasn't about the accommodation, it was about who you were with. Mm. And the love that you got from, you know, your family and your uncles and your and your aunties and also your grandmother and grandfather who, yeah. you know, bore a big responsibility for all of us while, you know, mum was away working. Major cultural um, learning, protocols into how to dress uh, meat that we got, mm. understanding that we didn't take any more than we needed to, that people's totems were were also embedded in the animals that we, that we kill, so respect was number one. Mm. Um you know, certain bits and pieces had to be left out there where the animal was taken from, and uh, just showing respect to, um, you know, to the animal when you um, when you when you took it. Sharing, a lot of sharing. Never took any more that you didn't share with other people. You know, so you still lived came. in harmony. Total harmony, yeah. With the country, with the land. We had to look after it. Mm. So with my grandfather too, as as a guide and um, and a teacher, and all my uncles, it was about not cutting trees down that you didn't need to cut down breaking trees off when you're walking through the bush, like, you know, mm. breaking a branch off. That was a no-no. 
killing things that you couldn't eat, like even birds with our Shanghai's and stuff like that. So yeah. everything was based around this is, you know, they belong to us and we belong yeah. to them and, you know, we need to look after them and they look after us. Auntie Muriel Bowie. So you're one of the last generations to be known as the Noongar Bush Babies. Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> How do you become a Noongar Bush Baby? Well, I got the title because I was born in the bush, so Mum had dead children and Papa was born in the bush because those days the women weren't allowed in hospital, so mm. we, they had no choice but to have us all in the bush, so... Was you born near the hospital or...? No, in the bush between Kudapine, um, they call it, where the Burtons had a farm between York and Querding. Oh, yeah. And uh, all my old aunties, my mum told me, were their midwives, yeah, that delivered me, see, in the mm. bush. And, and it was in July and, you know, York's yeah. a cold town, so <laughs> I was very lucky to be... I was still around at... 80. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I probably thought I was pretty good. When you and your siblings was born, welfare was coming around and taking kids. Yeah, taking kids, the yeah, kids you know? yeah. Did any any kids from your family, any brothers and no, sisters? No, they kept us all together. Mm. How? Out in the bush because we yeah. stayed out in the bush away from old Mr Neville because he would just drive them around. He'd see kids, mm-hmm. he'd just pick them up and take them. So yours was very, but very, 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 I think aware. we're very lucky because mum and dad did that. Did you have cousins and friends be taken? Yes, I had cousins yeah. taken, yeah. Did you go to town every so often? Oh, every, yeah, now and then. But mum, Manny and dad went on the, by themselves. Yep. Yeah. I think they played it safe, you know. Mm. Yeah. By hiding the kids, either. Did you know of the danger? Oh yeah. That mm. you'd be taken away, but yeah. what what would happen? Yeah, I think that's why Mum and Dad never stayed on the York Reserve, you know, because they they always used to go to the mm. the reserve looking for kids. Yeah. The old tracks going over the hills mm-hmm. in York there. Yeah. I remember old Pop Elfstack always yeah. telling me about the old woggle tracks. Yeah. Is that the same stories you got brought up with? Yeah, York? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the old cave, I think, just down the road from York to Beverly. And you turn yes, up, turn but, up yeah, right. But um, my grandfather wouldn't let us go anywhere near that because he said it was sacred. So we never, yeah. we never even went into the paddock there, you know, because he, he told us we never. Mm. We just listened to him, see? Then Teresa Wally. I was asleep and this creature came into my room, grabbed me and he wrapped me in the blanket and took me outside. They put me at the back of a truck and mum was going crazy, but she jumped on the truck with us. And about 8 o'clock that morning, we was in Carolup. Even today, I don't like the dark. But Mum absconded with my hearty. But before the police could grab us a second time, she jumped in those box cart. That's the way she'd get around. Got off at 2J. Then we went to Kalingri. We walked two days into Nunorsia, just to have me safe. Sign me up there so the welfare won't get me. 
and next minute Mum disappeared. She went out slowly and shut the door and left me there. I didn't see her again till I was 16. All she knew that I was safe at Nunos here because we was taken care of by the nuns mm. and there was a lot of girls then there that was like me, just a lot of them little ones were sitting around sucking their thumb, but I was able to go and play with my hearty. Mm. And so I thought I was one of the lucky ones. Mm. He locked in the dormitory until 5 o'clock in the morning. That's when we got to wake up, get up, wash our face and mm. go to church and go and have breakfast and start work. Mm. How would you like to be remembered? A good mother, mm. a good grandmother, a good great-grandmother, you know, which I have a lot of. <laughs> Yeah, family. My legacy is my family. Um, they've given me something I've always wanted. Yeah. Where would I be without a family? Mm. Mm. But they said, if you want a family, you've got to have a man. Well, I found one fishing. <laughs> <laughs> he had the right mate, huh? <laughs> <laughs> A good one. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie Irene and Uncle Albert McNamara. Yeah, I'm a wood machinist, cabinet maker by trade, and um, I was the only black fella out the woodwork section. Yeah. There was 18 blokes there, so I'd done my five years. I thought, well, stick with it, and I got called a few names. Mm. Stick with it, and I said, well, what goes round comes round, and so I stayed there for seven years, because at that time, after five years, I was the foreman in the woodwork session, and I... And then I had 18 blokes under me from every other country and I was still the only black fellow there. Is that how you lost your finger? Yeah, I lost it on a shaper. I was going through with a pine board and I hit a knot and I grabbed hold of my hand and I said to the boss, I said, you better take me to the doctors. Hmm. And, um, and when he had a look at my finger, I had all congealed blood in my hand. I said, you better take me up to the doctors. And he nearly passed out because he was a budget. You could see him changing his colours. You know, and they call us. <laughs> and they call they us colour, don't they? They call us colour. <laughs> but he was changing quick. He went from white to green to pink. He was changing colours quicker than what I had a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, but the thing at the time, he took me up and I went back on and um, I couldn't bend my knuckles. So I kept on hitting the saw. So I had to go back in and they took part of my finger off and that's how I got my deposit on the house. Well, we didn't um, go through anything. We did everything on our own. Yep. Wow. We never had no handouts. We did it ourselves. I worked all my life. I'm getting the sense of, you know, you you did what you wanted to do and you stood on your own mm. feet to make it happen, you know. But it comes from your family too, you know. They're the ones that say if you want things in life, get off your butt and work for it. Don't sit there with your hand out because you won't get nothing, you know. Yeah. Work for what you want in life and now we've got everything. We've got our house, our our cars, caravan, boat, so... You must be so proud of each other. Well, we we got it, we made it. But I'd like to also go back to Damora Reserve with all our family, you know. we Everyone was grannies, uncles and aunties and we were all brothers and sisters even on the reserve in Mora. Mm. And um, 
Even though we had the Cartier water, had no toilets, it was still the best place. Mm. My best memories come from there because of all the rest of the people. Everyone looked after the kids. No one came to Moore Reserve to take kids away. They were, everyone was there, you know. It was good because everyone helped look after each other, make sure everyone was going to school. Mm -hmm. And we had our own dance floor. It's funny. Moore Reserve used to be a army base and there was all cement places around, so the first people who got there built on them cements. But they left one big one in the middle that had a big chimney and that was our dance floor. Ah, uh, So good. we have dances there. Every, you know, everyone played an instrument. Yeah. And um, and we used to do cup of teas and and uh, sandwiches to sell. Yeah. <laughs> our camp had this window where you lift it up and put a stick in, and people come to there and get a cup of tea and uh, sandwich. It was a community, wasn't it? It was. And it, it was. was that old saying, was it? Uh, uh, Tribe raises yeah. a child, you know, and if someone playing up, then the aunties and uncles yeah. and the older yeah, cousins. Well, like, is that missing today? Yeah. 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 In terms of respect missing today because we had a yeah. lot of respect for our parents, our grandmothers and our grandfathers, but, you know, mm. it's, it's got to come back. Uncle no, Nana. Your mum is Yinjabari? Yeah, Nalima Injibundi. And your father, Nunga? Yeah. We grew up in Geraldton and it wasn't on my home country. But as I was there, Dad's younger brother came up and his name was Uncle Thomas. And Uncle Thomas was really brilliant with culture. Yeah. And sang in language and, you know, a bit like mm. you do. And he taught me stories and everything. And most of the cultural knowledge I have of Nunga side was from Uncle Thomas. Wow. And uh, the legend that, you know, is him being a real mabarn, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, I say that name now and it still puts the shivers yeah, in I me. Can see, I can see your face <laughs> because, now. because yeah. you learn about them and you, you don't ever want to meet them. Mm. But there was Uncle Thomas. The first time Dad brought me down here was in 1959 yes. and I was 11. And he brought me down here to meet the old men because... Uncle Thomas had spent three years with me, teaching me, and he knew spiritually that was his job to teach me, and I was Dad's youngest son. Mm. And uh, I grew up with seven sisters, and I always say, don't feel sorry for me, because growing up with seven sisters, you learn a hell of a lot about the respect for the female, you know? You got a lot of bodyguards too. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I would just listen to the oldies. And when I was in Canberra, I learned that... If you brought science to our culture and explained to people in science, mm. they could understand it. Mm. If you tried to tell them in our way, they couldn't. Why is that? Is it because we feel it? I, I feel like as Aboriginal yeah. people, we see things differently. We too. do, we do. And no doubt about it. This non-Aboriginal world where... Mm. It's all science-based, large mm. doses of scientific principle, I always say. And they want proof. Yes. <laughs> That's where the science comes into it. Yeah. And if it's got data from science, then it's real mm. and it's written about. Yeah. If it's just a story, well, it's just a story. Yeah. It's got no credibility. What is your legacy for future generations? Well, I would just like them to look back and 
to be able to understand there are such things as songlines. Mm. And I've spent a lot of time working on songlines and have done all the primary songlines in Western Australia. You know, they're now enshrined in academia mm. through Edith Cowan University. And I'd say, have a look at them and realise that the primary ones are the ones that sit over the top of all different country mm. with a big story like the carers of everything. Yeah. And then there's local stories that's in the head of the elders in those locations. Yeah. You can't put them on paper. Yeah. And I'd like, you know, future generations to think about, well, we're not just here in this country. Mm. Our song lines go beyond here. Yeah. You know? yep. And for them to explore that. Yeah. And see where it leads them. Yeah. Because all cultures go back to a time in the in the cave. Mm. All cultures. Mm. It's just that some of them are 7,000 years away from it. Yeah. And here we are just 191 years away from it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty fresh here. Nee, nee. Auntie Margaret Colbung. Well, you've been called auntie. Yes. Been called nan from a lot of people. Yeah. But through our research, pulling the show together, we found out another fascinating thing, that people actually call you doctor as well. Well, that's why I have those Band-Aid boxes in my <laughs> lounge room. <laughs> well, I got told that your nickname was Moogity. Yeah, Yes, it is. My camp name was Moogity because that's what my mother called me. Dad was really determined to put you into the Whitefellow School too. He was. Mm. He was determined because he said I had to go to the white man's school to learn how to speak their language. He couldn't read or write and he lived in the southwest and he was determined that we had to learn how to live the white man's life in order to survive. Mm. And that's what he said to my mother, they have to go to school. And when the school wouldn't take us, my mother sat outside the headmaster's door for four days in the week sat there with me until the headmaster gave me a classroom. Wow. And she was determined because we had to go to school to learn the white man's way. And then I'm thinking, yeah. well, look, 30, 40 years down the track, I still don't know the white man's way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they do too. Yeah, well, this is it. This is it. <laughs> Did she ask them, tell them, talk to them, or she just sat there? She'd and... ask, but they wouldn't speak to her because she was a black woman, you know. And we never had books to read and things like that. And one of the things that we learnt was numbers. And I was good at arithmetic and I used to get top marks. Yeah. But teachers said I was cheating because all the kids around me, they all got top marks. Yeah. I was sent to the headmaster's office and I was strip searched because I had written down all the answers. And then when I was moved from that group of kids... Their numbers went down, and, and I still maintained my high scores. They just couldn't believe it, eh? And they couldn't believe it. That's right. Yeah. How, how did you feel when you got the doctorate? Well, I was sort of overwhelmed, actually. Yeah. By, by this, because I was just quite happy doing what I thought was best for my people, mm. their health and well-being, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. Nothing else. And for us to go forward, mm. strong and healthy. And that's what it was all about. Nee, nee. Aliwa, aliwa, aliwa. Pop Ben Taylor.
uh, we gave a talk in middle-class Anglican girls' school and a girl got up and said, why do I see Aboriginal people laying drunk in the park, high-speed chases, very angry at the shopping centre? Mm. You know, well, me and Mingley said, well, you've got a lot of guts to get up and say that. We're living in hopelessness, racism, mm. drugs, alcohol, restlessness, domestic violence. It's where they come from, stolen generations been handed down to them. Yeah. Environment is violence there. They can't study and they go on the streets. They carry the pain of their people, mm. their fathers, their mothers, their grandparents. Mm. What you to thank you, Uncle Ben and Naughty Mingley. At the dinner table tonight at Swanbourne, where they live, you know, middle class, mm. I'm going to tell Mum and Dad, before you get racism, talk to Uncle Ben and Auntie Mingley. Yeah. They'll tell you the reason why these kids are like that. Yeah. They need nurturing. They need a place to go to. Mm. They need boarding school. Yeah. You're going to leave a large legacy. You know, oh. everyone's going to remember you for a long time. Yeah. It's never been about yourself. It's been yeah. about our people. Yeah, our people's one. Mm. I worry about a lot of people. Aboriginal went before me, you know. Yep. Went down that road. They died young. They died old. Mm. They're buried out there. They fought for justice. Yep. The treatment we got from the from the colonizers stained us mm. right through. I want young people to carry on what I was doing. Mm. Get that message to the people. Get them out of the bondage, hopelessness, racism, alcohol, drugs. And I, I know it's getting close to the end of the road when I go, and I, I'll have all that mapped out. The spirits are with me. They weren't getting it. And the wild, that rainbow serpent, bit of our culture for 60,000 years, long before colonization. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This podcast was produced by Community Arts Network in partnership with the City of Perth and with support from the ABC. You can find more of these yarns at can.org.au or find them on your favourite podcast app.